And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whichever the case may be. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn where literally anything can happen. So, since anything can happen and something seems to be happening in the background right now, let me do this, okay. Welcome, everyone. Uh, this is Saturday. It is June uh, 19th, Juneteenth, which is the excellent lead-in to my first uh, story. It turns out, if you go to the other side of midnight, for you who are not used to the drill, uh, the other side of midnight.com, that's our URL. Uh, click on that. That will take you to our home page. And from there, you will simply follow the bouncing banners. What you're going to do is you're going to click on the banner, uh, near the top of that page, which says the Chinese dramatically reappear and other major Martian mysteries. Uh, we were going to do this last week, and I had uh, issues. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Uh, we're working on some solutions, uh, and I will, you know, when we find them, I will let you know. Anyway, click on that banner. That will take you to the guest page for tonight. And just kind of uh, under the guest page, you'll see... Fast links, click on Richard, that takes you to the section of the page of Radio with Pictures that has my items. My first item has to do with a 94-year-old woman from Texas um, whose name is Opal Lee. She has been working for decades, decades and decades since her, she and her family, when she was, I think, 12 were burned out of their house in Texas in one of those bizarre, you know, racist incidents that this country and our history has been so peppered with relentlessly for hundreds and hundreds of years. Well, in, uh, you know, many, many decades ago when she was 12, you can do the math, um, she and her family were literally burned out by a mob of about 500 white guys and ran out of town. Their house burned, their furnishings burned. Fortunately, they all survived. She is now 94 years of age, and she determined at some point in her very interesting life and career, uh, you can actually go and Google her, Opal Lee, um, was determined to see that this date, June 19th, when two years after Abraham Lincoln's uh, Emancipation Proclamation, the word finally reached Galveston, Texas, by way of a, a certain Union general, whose name escapes me at the moment. Anyway, he uh, officially announced it. The last of the slaves were notified that they were free men and women, and it was on June 19th, um, two years after Lincoln had freed the slaves. Well, I did not learn, and I'm in the company, it turns out, of a whole bunch of other people. I did not learn about June 19th, Juneteenth, until just a couple of years ago. And it was stunning to me that it took two years for Lincoln's words to reach just Texas, let alone, you know, any farther parts of the then fledgling United States. So, um, as of a couple of days ago, on Friday, the House and the Senate, Senate unanimously, the House with all but 14 members out of 435, voted to make this date, June 19th, 
Juneteenth a national holiday, celebrating after hundreds of years when we as a society officially freed the slaves. I am just astonished that it has taken so long. So, happy Juneteenth, everyone. The story, one of the stories of Opalie's relentless uh, crusade. I mean, a couple of years ago, she literally walked from Texas to Washington. It was more than a couple of years to try to get another administration to proceed by making the Juneteenth holiday, which is celebrated in a number of states, including Texas, as a state holiday, but not nationally. She decided she was going to try to make it a national holiday. Well, the last national holiday that was authorized by Congress and signed into law by the president was 38 years ago. And that was the rather controversial uh, uh, Martin Luther King's birthday. 38 years. It's amazing how things will go on and on and on. And then suddenly, like overnight, like an asymptotic change, change will occur. That's going to be kind of a theme for tonight because I have a feeling, based on evidence that we're going to try to go into at some length tomorrow night when I have Rick Levine and Georgia Lambert as my guests, in a program that we've entitled Of Things to Come, we're going to try to peel back the veil of the other stunning asymptotic punctuated equilibrium changes that I believe and they believe and will try to document are going to overtake society after decades or even longer of gestation and seemingly no progress. It turns out, and this of course fits in perfectly with my uh, hyperdimensional model, which is all based on frequencies and heterodyning and, you know, when it's steamboat time you steam and change doesn't occur gradually, but in this, you know, as Stephen uh, Jay Gould, you know, described it as punctuated equilibrium, meaning you've got uniform stuff going on, going on, going on, and then suddenly there's a change. That's what we see with Juneteenth. For decades, Opal and her friends and family and colleagues and supporters and activists have been trying to get this to be an important, crucial recognition of what the society used to do and is now avowed to do no longer. But it took literally decades for change to occur literally overnight because if you read the story, um, Opal says when the Senate, well, the 100 senators on both sides of the aisle, I mean, when was the last time we had 100 senators, Democrats and Republicans and independents agree on anything? 100 senators, including some I will not name, it's very surprising, all said yes. Well, Miss Lee thought that, well, the House might take another year or two or three and literally as she was thinking of going to Washington it happened overnight and it happened uh, that only 14 uh, congressmen Republicans weirdly enough voted against it all the others Democrats and Republicans voted for it so it passed overwhelmingly and then went to the president's desk he just returned from the uh, 
a series of summits in, in Europe, the last one with Putin, gets off the plane, <clears throat> literally goes into the Oval Office the next morning and signs it into law on Friday. So happy Juneteenth. Well, the reason this is important is because it marks this model where things go along, go along, go along, and then suddenly all kinds of change occurs, not gradually, not linearly, but asymptotically, meaning the curve goes straight up through the roof. Um, my second story, which is number two there in Radio Pictures in my section, is kind of related uh, in a way to this model. Uh, if you click on it, um, you'll see that uh, it features a building on Brickell Avenue in Miami. And the reason I'm mentioning this tonight is because it's how Robin and I met. I saw an item in the paper about something was found um, in Miami that was not traditional, you know, everybody, you know, burns down everything day after tomorrow so that Miami has no sense of history, or at least it used to. And I saw a little tiny squib that they've been doing some kind of excavations for a new uh, apartment complex, and they'd found something. And I was going to Miami anyway to visit the National Hurricane Center, because at that time I was very intrigued with something called radar rings. We probably should do a show some night on radar rings and bring everyone up to date on what they are, where they are, the status. I mean, they're it's another one of those mysteries that we don't really understand, or at least a lot of people don't. Anyway, it was all kind of those cross curves that took me to Miami where I discovered that they had discovered, this was the excavations for this apartment house, a set of stone circles called the Miami Circle. And in my usual layback fashion, I wound up organizing <clears throat> Art Bell and millions of people and national television trucks showed up and, you know, the excavations were stopped for the uh, apartment house and ultimately, anyway, all of that is summarized at the end of the story because it turns out that they found another set of archaeological artifacts in overseeing a parking garage demolition there on Brickle. And the whole story is very interesting, but the reason I just had to include it is because it marks the way and the mechanism and the time when Robin and I met each other 20, well now 22 years ago. Anyway, um, moving on, item number three. If we're, taking, if, 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 we're, if we're taking a look at history and archaeology and who we are and who our ancestors were and all that, it turns out now that the Chinese want to build a sustainable human presence on Mars. So item number three is a story, very interesting story, uh, based out of uh, China, of course, of their long-term plans. Now, as you know, one of the major themes of the show tonight is going to be what the Chinese are doing on Mars. And with my guests, we're going to kind of go through some of the imaging that they've suddenly released after only a month. I mean, the whole story of the Chinese is so intriguing that I'm going to save 
the kind of, uh, you know, uh, jot and tittle and to and fro and anything you want to call it um, for when we're actually talking with the other members of the imaging team. But their behavior vis-a-vis Mars has been very uncharacteristic. And rather than uh, talk to myself, I'm going to share some of my thoughts with members of the team. And they have their own thoughts, and so it will probably be a little more edifying if we do it that way. Item number four. Um, They have announced, the Chinese have announced, that's the news link there in four, that they are, after a few more days of testing the rover, uh, Zerong, which is named after a Chinese fire god, remember, they are going to be moving south. And there's a nice map there created by a planetary scientist named Phil Stuckey, who does these really wonderful maps. Um, I believe this is set against the background of one of the Tianwen, that's the Chinese orbiter, still orbiting Mars, as a mothership. That image is the background for uh, Stuckey's map, showing where they're going to go And one of the first things they're going to visit as they drive south with their rover, which is actually quite substantial. You're going to see in a minute how substantial it is. Um, They're going to visit the um, aeroshell, which is the protective covering that spacecraft entering other planetary atmospheres are surrounded by, uh, and the parachute, which was used to land softly Uh, actually not technically land softly, but to slow down because the actual landing of Zerong was like the landing of our uh, Perseverance rover and the Curiosity rover before that by means of uh, rockets. They did not use the uh, so-called sky crane method. They used a method that they've used on the moon uh, several times with great success. And um, you can actually see, if you look very closely at that image, and it blows up nicely, very large, you'll see the um, the pattern in the dirt, in the Martian soil, the regolith, of the uh, fan-shaped north and south extensions of the uh, landing rocket blast that lowered the uh, lander, carrying the Zerong rover uh, to the Martian surface several um, uh, weeks ago. In fact, it's been over a month, a month and one week, five weeks. And now we have pictures. Well, if you go to link number five, one of the citizen scientists at unmannedspaceflight.com named uh, Thomas Apre, he's in France. He does some brilliant work, both imaging and and um, uh, gigapans and whatever. There's a really interesting gigapan there. Click on that and you can look around to a color panorama. Again, after only four weeks, of the Zerong landing site. And it's um, kind of flat as a table, Um, except there are some unusual things in the distance. And you can see one of the uh, rocket scour patterns from the ground, from the rover in the center of the uh, linking image there. That's what that scar is in the surface where the rockets blew the dust away and revealed uh, what's underneath, which looks more substantial. And we'll be getting into some discussions of what they actually landed on, what is in the uh, southern part of the uh, Utopia Planitia, which is the Latin name for where they've landed in the northern uh, uh, hemisphere of Mars. 
And uh, that'll be kind of interesting. You can tool around and look at various features. If you now go down to item number six, this is very intriguing. Because when I saw this published by the Chinese news agency a couple days ago, I said, oh, what have they done that for? You know, put up an artist's sketch of the lander, which is on the right, and the rover, which is on the left. And then I read, because you can, of course, Google Translate any stuff now from anywhere in the world. I read that, in fact, what the Chinese did was brilliantly take another little camera with them, which was mounted on the front toward the bottom of that yellow part of the rover in that image on the left. And they pulled out ahead of the lander on the little wheels, and they released this little electronic package, which turns out to be a deployable camera. Then they backed up the rover so it would pose side by side, and they took a selfie and beamed it, along with a bunch of other images, which are available at that link, back to Earth. And that is an actual image of the lander and the rover side by side with the wheels deployed, the solar panels deployed, the mast, which has the cameras, most of the cameras up on top, uh, sitting there side by side. Now, as we're going to talk about amongst ourselves, and you can, you know, eavesdrop if you want, there are some very interesting things in the foreground of that image, which immediately drew my attention. Of course, the Chinese would not draw anybody's attention, but based on images taken from the rover when it was sitting on top of the lander, which as you can see, if you, in your mind, kind of put one of those things stacked up on the other thing, gives you a pretty high perspective to look down and look out across the landscape. Um, there are some very curious things right around this lander-rover combination that do not look natural. I mean, they do not look like rocks. Of course, everybody talking about them, labeling them, you know, talking in, in blogs about them, that, oh, you know, Chinese uh, lander and rover image, you know, Mars rocks. No, because these have geometry and they have rather remarkable colors. And I guess I forgot to load that one. So sometime during the show, I will send that particular image to Kinthea and she'll post it as 6A. And you'll see why I'm so intrigued with what's around the lander. And as an indication of maybe why the Chinese decided, of all the gin joints in all the world, you know that line from Casablanca, why did they decide to land here? Well, if you go back and look at the Gigapan and you zoom in, particularly on the far right, you'll see some very curious things that showed up in the black and white images they released right after landing. Things that look, shall we say, unchar uncharacteristically geometric. And of course, one of the hallmarks of intelligent design is geometry. So do the Chinese know or suspect something about Utopia Planitia that we, meaning the West, meaning NASA, doesn't? Or does everybody know more than the general public in the world because the real secrets of space are kept by a privileged few? Again, part of tonight's discussion. Okay, I, I, I kind of think that 
runs to the end of my list. The rest of my items there we will be talking about uh, when uh, when we uh, actually talk with um, uh, my, my guest this morning. So without further ado, let me click a couple of things here and bring them in, opening the pots. And gentlemen, are you with us? Yes. Good morning, Richard. Okay. Sure Everyone introduce yourselves because I've yeah. lost track of who's with us and who's not. I think Tim Saunders is with us all the way from Good Turkey. Morning. Good morning, Tim. Yes. I think Ruggiero was with us from the UK. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. And I believe Ron Gerbron is on the line as well. Uh, good morning, all. So let's see, where do we want to begin? Um, Ron, you and I should probably kick this off because it's been my contention, again, based on data, based on past performance, uh, basically with the moon and the brilliant landings of the Chinese Chang-3, Chang being the Chinese, you know, moon goddess, um, and Chang-4 and Chang-5, where they not only gave us video, you know, within hours uh, on the way down, but they then within a few hours gave us stunning color panoramas. They gave us video of the descent of the rover from the lander. They would then give us views of the lander from the rover and the rover from the lander. And, you know, not discounting the fact that the moon is one and a half light seconds away and Mars is like 20 minutes away at the speed of light. And there is a much more laborious link to get data back to China from Mars than from the moon. Still a month where you have nothing except a couple of black and white images for week after week after week. Um, as someone said in a movie once, it begs the percentages. So it's been my contention from the beginning that one of the indicators of whether the Chinese were the captains of their own souls when it came to Mars would be their behavior after they landed on Mars. That if they were really running their own ship, continuing with the uh, nautical metaphor, that we would see their behavior mirror with some time lag due to the bandwidth limitations what they did on the moon. Instead, they, in essence, disappeared from any public comment, posting, news stories, leaks, whatever, for a month. And they only reappeared one day after NASA took their picture from MRO, the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter spacecraft with the super telescope that looks down on Mars in low Mars orbit, and after NASA published the photograph showing that they were indeed on Mars where they claimed they had landed, for all those skeptics that think that the Chinese you know, lie about everything. One day later, the Chinese call a press conference in Beijing and release a whole bunch of really amazing images, including the uh, panorama that Pierre turned into a gigapan up in my items further up. So, Ron, what is yes. your opinion? Your political, put on your, you know, geopolitical hat now. What is your opinion of why the Chinese behavior, which is to boast about everything and claim firsts in a whole bunch of stuff in which they don't deserve to claim firsts, 
what how do you explain their sudden departure from previous Chinese history vis-a-vis their space efforts? Well, I'm not sure it is that much of a departure, but I think there's a fundamental difference in the way that they use their space program, uh, you know, in the total picture of Chinese affairs and the way that ours works, because they're, as far as I know, they're very monolithic. You know, everything follows along to the same goal. So anytime that there's a discrepancy in the planning or, you know, any sort of anomaly along the way, uh, it's perfectly understandable to me that they would pause and just not do anything publicly about something uh, because they're not separate operations. You know, so even apart from outside influence, and I'm not discounting that they might be uh, under the microscope, if not the thumb, uh, really drawing all that much interest from the um, breakaways or anybody else. I, um, you know, I just think that they're being uh, cautious in that regard. I mean, look at the look at the uh, stuff from the moon. They're they behave like the traditional aphorism about lawyers. You know, they don't ask questions they don't think they already have the answer to. So they've they've plotted this out carefully. I mean, they spent over a month, we know this, uh, plotting their own pictures from orbit of the whole general area there, deciding where they're going to land. So they obviously have a plan. Um, But uh, I think they just stopped because there's other political things happening. You know, as long as everything's running smoothly on other fronts, and, you know, and I can't presume, none of us can, to say what the most important detail of their overall policy might be uh, on a day-to-day basis. But I have a suspicion that right now their space program has taken a slight back step from uh, prominence because they're, they're trying to make sure other stuff doesn't, doesn't cause them troubles. And that's about as kindly as I can put the whole thing. Okay. Uh, All right. Okay, um, let me throw in one more thing. Uh, Morningstar will kill me if I don't prod <laughs> you that, that it is, that it is, uh, you pronounce it, you pronounce the, um, uh, their little fire spirit named Rover, uh, Jurong. He swears it's a J, a weird J, just like the J on Jezero. But it's a, uh, it's Jurong, not sh- not, not a yeah, except the J on Jezero is supposed to like be pronounced, a... according to our sources, as a Y, Jezero. <laughs> yeah, which isn't correct either. But it's, um, you know, Jezero, 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 I've given up on. But I'll, uh, as far as I know, uh, Morningstar is better at pronouncing Chinese. Well, than, I mean, uh, Morningstar so is our I'll, resident I'll expert. He's our resident expert on, on China. So if he says it's Zhurong... Yeah. You know who's to uh, you know ignore expertise. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Tim, um, we got about a minute till the bottom of the hour till the break. Good morning. Yes, I'm just uh, deep into a website where I was just exploring the surface of Ganymede, actually. Ah, but, uh, yes, the new slightly. Ganymede images. Yes. Yeah, the first images in 20 years, mm-hmm. close-up images, that is, apparently. And uh, I was just putting an email together to Kintia. I'm going to ask her if she may post it in my section, because I think if you're looking for geometry, you can't fail on that surface. Did you spot or... the dome over Ganymede yet? Uh, not yet. <laughs> Give me a chance. 
You will have a, have fun. You will enjoy. Anyway, um, we're we're actually at the bottom of the hour, so let me hold my uh, uh, request for comments on China from you and Ruggiero until after that. Um, tonight is going to be a very, uh, shall we say, variegated night. Uh, I'm planning to do a couple things that might, in fact, entail surprises, like this one. This is the Wild Wild West. One of my favorite themes, favorite programs. You are on the other side of midnight, coming to you from the wild, wild west of the land of enchantment, the land of New Mexican endangered meadow mice, and that's a reference and illusion that only a very few can understand. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. the Green Revolution 2.0 is called Gates Ag 1, and it's highly funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates. The mission statement is all about how we must accelerate the deployment of new technologies to indigenous farmers, and it's going to help them with climate change, right? Again, it all ties back to that. And we must go in and take their heirloom genetics away from them, right? These these precious, uh, hardy, resilient seeds that have fed those people in various parts of the world for generations, for, for hundreds of generations in some cases, and replace them instead with newly genetically engineered, CRISPR modified, bastardized. That's why I say they're defiling the food supply. AgTech, as it's called. And so this is why we now need to introduce the idea of a acute food crisis. And I would suggest that they have engineered and we're staring right now down the barrel of this is the the urgency in tonight's conversation uh, of an engineered food shortage. And they will use this food shortage, which you're starting to see now around the world, especially as the big bread baskets have started to experience crop failures. And they're shutting down their exports of grains, corn and soybean prices are rising precipitously. That means that the countries that depend on those exports, the net importers, are all already experiencing food crises. And so this is spreading around the world right now. And what will happen as we, you know, as we get through this is you'll see the media and these think tanks and the UN, all these all these players will point at the problem. It's just the Hegelian dialectic again, right? They'll say, now you see, because of climate change, Mm -hmm. this is why we're having these food shortages and, of course, the pandemic. And this is why, this is why we have to move into indoor vertical farms and lab-grown meat. And this, there's no option. Now, Now you feel the pain and now you see why we've been doing this. 
We've had your interests at heart the whole time. We're from the government. We're here to help. <laughs> right? So there, there's an acute crisis situation that we're now walking into. And that will be used to bring all of this nasty technology in. This is Christian Westbrook with the Ice Age Farmer, and you're listening to the other side of the news. back everyone to the other side of midnight here from the land of enchantment yes the wild wild west and that's a double maybe even a triple pun again only decipherable by certain insiders and if i'm really 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 begged i will explain but you don't need an explanation because this is one hell of a theme and one of my favorite shows in fact you know we got a minute or two let's listen This is, um, you know, the Boston Pops. Actually, it's the Western Piedmont Symphony. Sorry, sorry. Western Piedmont Symphony. Welcome back, everyone, here on the other side of midnight. Okay, Tim, you were about to, uh, first of all, you're sending some information, images to Kinthea regarding Ganymede. And Ron and I have been discussing this for a couple, is it a couple, three years, Ron? Is that how long we've been discussing Ganymede? Uh, Oh, easily, easily. I think we were both, uh, before we discussed it, we'd both been looking at it for some time, I think. (laughs) And separately arrived at the same conclusion, there's an ancient dome over Ganymede. Whoever these guys were to remodel the entire solar system are great, 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 great progenitors, uh, as I've termed it after uh, Clifford Symek's famous 1950s novel, The Cosmic Engineers. They appear to have had a technology that could dome in entire moons. So building something 30 miles wide over Yezero uh, would have been duck soup. And uh, we will get into some of the permutations and, uh, uh, shall we say, controversies regarding that a little later in the program. So, Tim, you're sending to Kinthea these new images taken by the Juno probe, which was sent to Jupiter to this very elongated uh, uh, polar orbit a couple, three years ago. And because of the way the orbits work, they had to wait for the proper alignment because they have very limited fuel to do, you know, orbit changes. And they were able to get it so it swings down at the far part of the orbit past uh, Ganymede, which is the second to furthest major 
moon of Jupiter from Jupiter, and they got some spectacular black and white images. I don't know yet whether they published the color yet, or one of the citizen scientists who take their feeds from their camera, kind of like the uh, live Percy uh, images from Perseverance, whether they put them together as color. Uh, if, if they have, no one's brought that to my attention. But even the black and whites are <clears throat> very revealing. So what we're going to do is in a few minutes, we will turn our attention briefly from Mars to Ganymede, and we will talk to... Um, him about what he sees on Ganymede. In the meantime, what are your thoughts about the Chinese? I think they make great food. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, can you be a little bit more specific? I mean, um, well, I mean, Ron seems to dismiss their behavior as in keeping, and I think it's totally 180 degrees out of phase with everything they've previously ever done in space, particularly after they advertised in a poster that they stole from Curiosity that they were going to go to Mars and they were going to reveal ruins, ancient structures built by whoever was building super stuff on Mars. Then they get there and they disappear for a month. And I cannot see in any way, shape or form why that is conforming to their previous behavior. And in terms of saying, well, they have more terrestrial concerns, Usually, nations use space as a kind of a game changer to change the subject, to change the conversation, particularly have something to brag about. And the fact that the first time out of the gate, they successfully put a major orbiter into Mars orbit. They then landed on a planet which has swallowed half the spacecraft that have ever been sent there. They landed successfully for the first time. They now have an operating rover with good cameras taking really interesting pictures and they don't say anything for a month. I'm sorry, I do not see that as normal behavior. I see it as confirmation of my model, which is the Chinese are not the captains of their own soul, particularly when it comes to space, certainly when it comes to Mars. That's well, the context. You're saying. I do hear what you're saying, but I think on the other hand, why would they want to share this with everybody? I mean, the Chinese are, are busy with many For bragging rights. Why have they just published, remember, item number three? They're now talking about habiting Mars, about literally building colonies, of setting up their own domes, of doing all the super things that, you know, no U.S. government has ever said we're going to colonize Mars. The only guy who's saying we're going to colonize Mars is a, a South African <clears throat> who's an immigrant named Elon Musk. So in terms of a government, they're the first government. The Russians haven't done this either. They're the first government to say forthrightly, we are going to colonize Mars. And Richard, yes. there, are, there are so many factors here. And bragging is not the most important. There are those that brag and those that do. And it seems that the Chinese are just doing at the moment. So, I mean, let's just take it a little bit further uh, away from Mars, actually closer to home. Uh, this space station, which they're putting up, I mean, they've just launched the third of 11 segments, I believe, uh, which will create their own space station, which is totally independent from every other nation, as far as I can understand. And are they showing, are they sending you the blueprints? Are they going to tell you what their manifest is on board of each, each um, you know, lifter from the, from the, the surface to the, the station? Of course not. I think what they're doing is they're just getting on with it because there's just too much at stake. I mean, it, even if you look at the 
valuation of certain asteroids. You know, they're into so much money. It, it's so many zeros, you can hardly fit it on one page. It's so many quadrillion dollars value in terms of minerals. So if somebody can actually get up there and bring some of that home, then why would you show where the, where the X on the, you know, the map is, where the treasure is? Well, they have released images showing where they're landing, you know, and the images turn out to be exactly congruent with MRO black and white CTX images as well as the MRO color. So they are leaking out a little bit of information, the most important of which, of course, would be where they've landed because that allows other nations, you know, Europe, which has spacecraft orbiting, the U.S. with MRO to verify. <clears throat> but they took them a month to reveal their first color image and then it turns out they had decided to go with the butterscotch skies as opposed to the blue skies that we know from a variety of other evidence uh, are, are really the uh, truth of what the Martian atmosphere looks like from the surface. So it's almost like they had to wait and wait and wait while some kind of behind-the-scenes negotiation was going on and the end product of the negotiation was, okay, you'll behave like everybody else who lands on Mars. You'll publish the images we published, which is weird, you know, yellowish, tannish, salmonish skies, not a hint of blue. And uh, only then did they publish. Uh, Ruggiero, let me turn to you, because I'm striking out, you know, two for two so far. Uh, what are your opinions of what the Chinese are up to? Well, um Happy Juneteenth uh, Day, firstly, Richard. Um, I find it quite interesting that they've had two missions, one to Mars, one to the moon, and on both of them, you've literally got, like, one image and then nothing. So I find that, uh, like, really, really surprising. No, wait, wait. Where, where, do you, where do you come from in terms of saying they only gave us one image of the moon? They, they've given us hundreds panoramas, individual images, images from the lander of the rover, images of the rover from the lander. Um, their, their anomalous behavior is all about Mars, not the moon. Well, on the moon, please correct me if I'm wrong, it was, they released one image to start with, like, and then there was like a month of nothing. No, 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 no. You need to go back and check your sources because they were, they were voluminous in releasing stuff from, from uh, the moon. Okay, uh, Richard. Richard, uh, let me step in in Rogero's defense there for a second. I, I know what he's saying. The uh, panoramas don't count to me as a big image dump, not unless they release the individual images, and they haven't done that. Tell me where I can go to get all the individual frames that they stitched together to do those panoramas. I'm not saying I'm not saying they're fraudulent, but it's you know it's it's already put together. And that's not the kind of transparency that we're talking about. Anyway, back to Rogero. Well, if you want to compare them not releasing individual images for an extended period of time, the, the Europeans have been horrible about releasing original source data. They've released, you know, press images. They've released panoramas. You know, they've actually outdone the Chinese in terms of secrecy, and this has been a common complaint against the European Space Agency for many, many years. It's almost like everybody, when it comes to what's out there, do not behave normally. 
Because if you spend, I forget how many, you know, yen it, this mission cost the Chinese, and them talking, you know, boastfully about setting up housekeeping uh, on Mars as a colony, you'd think they would sprinkle within that four-week period even one color image of the horizon, and they didn't. They gave us one color shot looking down on the lander to show that the panels have been extended and to show a bit of the surface, and that was it. So <clears throat> this is not normal, again, against what they've done press-wise. You know, forget the source data, because source data has been very rare um, in terms of all space programs, NASA included. You know, we they, they, they actually claim they're giving us raw imaging, but we know that they give us reduced imaging and they store the raw data on, you know, Perseverance, talking in terms of the latest mission. And what they've been giving us in terms of certain representations of, from Percy is very much degraded raw data, which says to me it's not raw data. It's been, you know, filtered. It's been censored. It's been, you know, debanded so that you can't really delve into the details and figure out what's going on. In other words, everything above the atmosphere seems to have a quarantine around it. The most glaring example recently being the Chinese behavior, which was very much in opposition to what they did with the moon, which was to give us panoramas, to give us images, to even post images on the Chinese army website from which I was able to discern that they had photographed there in Mari Imbrium the same kind of glistening glass structures that we had photographed back during Apollo on film 40 years before. That kind of confirmation would not, would not have been possible without the Chinese being forthcoming through their most credible outlet, which was the Chinese army. Richard, on the um, Zurong rover landing site on Utopia Planetia, have, have, you, um, have, you, have you gone up to... Sorry, thank you, Ron. Zurong. <laughs> have no, you passed up towards the sun on the, on the image, which you can do? Because obviously you can go around in a circle, 360, where you can put, pull your little cursor and go up to the sun. And... Uh, I'm not saying that there's anything in the sky. Well, actually, in in that in that Gigapan, which is a yeah. a a um, version of the Chinese imagery, um, Apre, who was the citizen scientist in France, who you know took the uh, Chinese image and then put it into a Gigapan, he said in order to do it, he had to create a synthetic sky, which was oh. as high above the horizon. As the original image, the original image looks looks identical. It's butterscotch, so there is no way to look up at the zenith. And the zenith, of course, the the imagery the the pan was taken at about high noon on Mars, uh, a day or two after they had landed. So there's no way to look overhead. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No problem. I I do find it uh, intriguing how obviously we got the coloration difference in the sky compared to NASA's um, first image of when you see the ro foot of the rover and then they're looking out to the, the right and you've got a beautiful blue uh, that uh, 
that got me how we've got you know, two completely different colored skies. Mm-hmm. But let me, he, let me, uh, guys, let me bring up something else because this kind of feeds directly into what uh, Ruggiero was just saying. One of the things that kind of flagged my interest was that in that first batch of three images, they gave us two black and whites of the little ramp that they extended from the lander to roll the rover down. They gave us a view of the horizon. It was a low-resolution, what they call hazard cam image. They took two of those, and then they gave us one color shot from the mask cam on the rover itself of uh, Jurong, looking down at the solar panels, but obviously deliberately not of the horizon. And my impression was they were doing everything not to show us the sky. And it took them a month to give us a view of the sky, of the horizon. However, if you go to my item number seven in Radio with Pictures, um, you can, again, click on my fast link right underneath the banner there on the guest page. That will take you to number seven. This is a comparison of the first image they gave us from orbit from the uh, TN1 um, uh, orbiter in color uh, of the Martian North Pole. Uh, and side by side is a slightly enhanced version that I've companioned with it. And if you look at the right-hand image, you'll see along the Terminator, which is the line separating light and dark on any planet. You know, the Terminator is termination between light and darkness. The Terminator on the moon moves around the moon once a month as the moon orbits the Earth and shadows and craters are sharpest at the Terminator, and then you go into night. Well, if you look at the right-hand Chinese image taken from the orbiter, you can see very interesting color banding along the Terminator. And if you look carefully, you'll see that it goes from blue to green-yellow to red, and then over the darkness beyond the Terminator, it goes black to blue. Now, why does it do that? All we've done is to brighten the image on the left-hand side. You can see the same colors if you're really, you know, perceptive on the left-hand image compared to the right. Why does it give us this banding of color? Well, this is the normal prismatic dispersion of an atmosphere, which acts like a prism, like a lens. And it's what gives us beautiful red sunsets on Earth, which has a very fluffy and dense atmosphere. What's so interesting is the reason it goes from bluish to green-yellow to red and then back to blue when it's in over the dark is because the first three colors are the prismatic bending of light in the Martian atmosphere, like in the Earth's atmosphere, due to the uh, refraction between air and space. And the final band of blue over the dark beyond the Terminator, that's called Rayleigh scattering. And that's if you were sitting there in a high altitude airplane or in a balloon or whatever, you would see, if you looked at the horizon, you would see a bright band of blue above the horizon because it turns out the Chinese inadvertently on that orbital image gave us the real colors 
of the Martian atmosphere. And they're Rayleigh scattering blue, which, of course, is diametrically opposed to their final month-long agonizing delay in releasing the first images from the surface, which have it the butterscotch, you know, tan of NASA. In other words, their own data belies their own surface imagery, and I'm not sure they even realized that they had given the game away by releasing these two um, obviously not conforming sets of data. Uh, Richard, um, if I interject, so as like a control model, we, we've obviously got lots of missions where, well, I assume there's lots of missions where we've gone to planetary style systems um, and a, uh, a satellite has done a flyby. Um, so if we look only at, only in this solar system, yeah, that's what I mean. So um, I mean the word planets, excuse me. So as a control, you could look at those planets or asteroids that don't have any atmosphere and do the same kind of um, analysis and and see what you come up with with those to look at the sort of light refracting properties. Does that make sense? Yeah, I have, and it, there's there's nothing there. <clears throat> when you photograph the moon, if you expand the brightness, you know, really, uh, you know, enhance the brightness, mm -hmm. you wind up getting, uh, you know, uh, no colors beyond the Terminator, uh, no hints of atmosphere. You get some speckling, depending upon the angle of the lighting on the camera and all that. But you certainly don't get what we're seeing in this Chinese imagery of Mars. However, if you look at the European imagery from orbit of Mars, you look at the NASA imagery of Mars from orbit, you get the same phenomenon as you do when you take pictures of the Earth Terminator looking down with Earth satellites, either in geosynchronous orbit or in low Earth orbit. In other words, refractive properties of an atmosphere are invariant to the density uh, it makes it much, much, much dimmer, but the spectral colors change dramatically if, in fact, you're supposed to be looking at an atmosphere filled with dust as opposed to molecular size molecules, uh, oxygen, carbon dioxide, whatever, which even on Jupiter, when you take a picture of the Terminator on Jupiter, you get blue beyond the Terminator because the skies of Jupiter, even though the atmosphere is hydrogen, is blue. It's all due to the size of the molecule doing the scattering uh, compared to the wavelength of light that's being scattered. So the skies of Mars are blue. The Chinese yeah, data itself says they're blue, which means the surface imagery that shows it's brownish or tannish or butterscotch is not consistent with their own orbital data. That makes total sense. Sorry. Which means they had to change the color. And it took, them, yeah. it took them a month to politically decide to vote with NASA. And the fact that they only came out with these color images on the surface the day after NASA says, yes, they're on Mars, there they are, I find, again, very, shall we say, um, indicative of political things going on behind the scenes. Yeah, certainly uh, certainly strange, isn't it? But you're getting those two contrasts. So. 
Tim, do you want to? Has, has Cynthia been able to post her images yet? I I did not have any confirmation yet. Let uh, me let maybe, me go look. Maybe let me go look. But I was just going to mention that while we're talking about you know, the coloration of Mars. Ah, she the, has posted your images. Okay, the atmosphere on Mars is predominantly uh, carbon dioxide. Right. <clears throat> something like 95%. So that must also have a bearing on the color. I'm not saying it makes it one color or another. No, 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 no. It has no bearing. It turns no out bearing. by this kind of coincidence of molecular sizes... All molecules in atmospheres tend to be Rayleigh scattered blue. Doesn't matter what the composition is because the molecules are all about the same size. So they scatter blue light. It's not absorption or refraction or whatever. It's called scattering. And it's been well known for, you know, hundreds of years. There was a guy named Minart who wrote a classic book that uh, artists who, you know, deal in... in, uh, landscapes know very well called light and color in the open air and uh it talks in extensively about Rayleigh scattered blue skies going back to you know Maxfield Parrish and other classic landscape illustrators so it doesn't matter what the atmosphere is on a planet if there's enough of it you will get blue skies regardless of what it's made of Okay, well, that, that's uh, good to know. I mean, it, it'd be interesting to discuss some of the other planets in our, our solar system and where they obviously have very different atmospheric conditions. So you're saying that, you know, the atmosphere in Venus is nothing to do with the actual gases involved in, in the atmosphere. If you uh, were... There are exceptions. Well, like the, chlorine. The, what, if the atmosphere was chlorine, it would be green. But, but that's not, because you know, of, that's not because of scattering, that's because of absorption and, and re-emission. <clears throat> if the atmosphere, if if the, if the molecules making up the atmosphere are no, basically non-reactive, like nitrogen or CO two or you know whatever, you get the blue of of the scattering. Right. If it's something incredibly chemically reactive, which interacts with photons in a very energetic way, that's why chlorine has a kind of a greenish yellowish cast because it's not just scattering light it's interacting with it absorbing it and re-emitting it so it's giving us spectral lines of emission which is a very different physical process i'm talking about neutral atmospheres like hydrogen like helium like if you could have an, an atmosphere of krypton you know gaseous krypton uh it, it would be blue um, give you an example. Um, when when the New Horizons mission, and I probably should put this one up too. Continue. We're going to have to start making a list of what I'm going to add to my section. The images in color of New Horizons, looking back at Pluto, is a stunning, beautiful, gorgeous crescent with a brilliant blue atmosphere even though the atmosphere is made of nitrogen with a smidgen of uh, methane gas. It's blue because it's not absorbing or emitting, it's scattering. Richard, we're coming up on a heartbreak. Oh, that's right. continue? Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, very glad. Thank you so much. I'm glad someone is watching the time. Actually, we actually went by the time. Ah! Oh, Cynthia's going to kill me. Anyway. All right. You are on the other side of midnight. Uh, my name is Richard C. Hoagland, 
and we will be returning shortly as soon as I do a couple of things here with a couple of switches. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Mm-hmm.